My name is Johnny Marks. I'm one of the pastors at our Cypress campus. And it's really nice to be with you this morning. It's really, really good to be. You guys excited? Good morning. All right. That wasn't very convincing, I'm not going to lie. That was pretty weak. Thank you very much. It was wonderful to have you. Thank you. Uh, no, really, it's, it's fun to be able to see a different part of our family, right? We're the, the body of Christ. We are uh, sons and daughters of, Jesus, of God, and we get to all worship Jesus together. And uh, it's nice to get to know a few folks. I got to meet Poppy's mom, which is wonderful. Got some dirt on him now, so that's good. Some ammunition. I hope that you're well. I hope that today finds you um, ready uh, not just to hear from someone, but to hear from God, to get some marching orders for the rest of your week. And we talk about this a lot, that coming to church should be something that we come so depleted to, that we come so empty to, because we have been ministering to people and serving others, preaching the gospel and laying our lives down, that we have to come to church to get filled up by God again, to go continue to go out. And I think a lot of times we come and we just kind of, we come to church like, well, I guess we'll go to church today. But man, we should be expectant, right? We should be expectant that God is going to interact with us and that we will get what we need to keep going. I love that our family gets to be with each other. There was a time where everybody got to worship together. We parcel everybody out a lot and there's value to that. Right? But when Jesus was preaching to people, they had families. Like there was a time you had your kids were running around. All you had to do is give them a look. Remember those days, your kids... Look down the aisle at them. They get back to it. And they learned how to worship. They learned how to engage God because mom and dad were teaching them. So I think there's value to that. So hopefully you don't miss this opportunity. Sometimes, you know, these days kids, listen, having kids is tough. We're not talking about that today. I'm just thinking about it. Uh, my wife is here. My wife, Lindsay, we have three daughters. Please pray for me. I have a girl dog also who's the only one that listens to me in the whole house. And we have a little boy dog who you can have. If anybody wants it, let me know. I'll go get it and bring it to your house later. No, and we, we've had a blast. We've been in Houston for almost 10 years. It came from Hawaii for 12. I know the first question that you want to ask me is what? Why? That's right. I get it all the time. I'm still asking God. I'm not sure. I'll let you know when I find out. No, but a place that you go is not about um, but people, the relationships that we carry with one another. Hawaii is beautiful, but like the relationships that you carry, the family that you create in a place is what makes it, you know? And so we're glad to be here. Um, we've, we've been having a blast. We're going to continue our study in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6 today, in where we find out how to live for later. Living for later. Living for a, a reward that is not immediate, right? We live in an instant gratification world, don't we? Click of a button, get what you want. Turn a channel, get what you need, right? I mean, you can get food. DoorDash. Who would have thought of DoorDash? I mean, you can get whatever you want, whenever. Amazon Prime now. I ordered a pair of swim goggles at a swim meet because my kid broke her goggles. The car pulled up in a brown paper bag, which was super sketchy. The dude jumps out with a pair of goggles I just ordered like 30 minutes ago. 
This is the world we live in, instant gratification. But Jesus is preaching to these people on a hillside, a hill, by the way, for those, it's a part of the ground that goes up and then back down. We don't have many of those here. Right? It's not the freeway. That's not, the, that's not a hill. But they're on a hillside and Jesus is preaching and teaching them about how to live a life for a reward later. And so that's what we're talking about today. Uh, when I was a little younger, I'm not super old, but I'm a little younger. I had this problem with wanting to pay the check all the time. Like when I, when you finally get a little bit of money, when people pay for your food all the time, right? I was like, all right, it's my turn. And normally a normal person would just pay for the meal, right? I am an abnormal person, I think. So I would make a big deal about it. And I'm not proud of it, and I'm not saying it's right, but it's what happened. Do you ever do this? Or you see something like this in a restaurant before? And if this is you, don't raise your hand and out yourself, and don't nudge your husband or your wife, okay? Kids, don't point out your dad or your mom saying, this is what my dad does. But we get the, the check, right? And because I wanted to make sure that people knew how generous I was, I would make a huge deal about it. <laughs> to the point where I actually stood up out of my chair one time, and I almost got in a fight with the guy I was trying to buy his dinner for. It was ridiculous. It sounds as dumb as it really was. I say it out loud and it's just as dumb now as it was then. Like how silly was that? But we do this all the time, don't we? We do this all the time. We want to broadcast our generosity so that we can feel better about ourselves. We enjoy it, don't we? Right? Let's start with the younger generation. This is an easy one. If you don't have Instagram, it's okay. If you don't have Facebook, it's all right. But the younger ones are going to understand how this works. You ever see those posts? Got a coffee cup, and you can tell it's been steaming. It's hot, right? And it's got like a Jesus loves you on the cup. And, also, and it's turned just right, and it's like the light of the window's coming in just right, and the Bible's laid out, and you can see, you can see the verse, and it's real highlighted. They must read it a lot. Right? Like, man, they are so spiritual. <laughs> man, she's got 100,000 likes on that picture. She probably didn't even read that Bible the whole week. But she's got a picture about it. People know how spiritual she is, or he is. Sorry, that not just a girl does that. Right? Or how about the videos that we see? Right? You're somebody posing, or a, or a video of somebody taking care of the poor. You ever see this? This is, this is crazy. I'm not trying to be sarcastic, but I'm just saying this is what happens. Right? We do. We, we go on mission trips. Maybe some of you have been on a mission trip before, and if you have to go on a mission trip with a camera crew, I'm not saying the camera crew is bad in and of itself, but if the purpose is to tell other people how generous you are and how many poor people you've taken care of, you might have a problem. Because we all have this thing in us that needs validation. We all have this, this part of us that craves the pat on the back. We want to hear somebody tell us how good we are. Maybe you grew up in a, in a tradition that, they, that encouraged you that the more you give, the more you're going to get spiritually. If you give more to this snake charmer, I'm telling you what it is. 
then you might get more, you might get more stuff in heaven. If you, if you will put more money down here, you will inherit more in eternity. I didn't grow up going to church. So that, that's not my, but I struggle with the need to be seen for what I do. Now, I know none of you, maybe somebody that you know, though. Somebody else that you know might struggle with that. You probably don't, but I do. And Jesus speaks to this in the Bible. Now, he's been dealing with the Pharisees and their teachings. He's been dealing with the way that the Pharisees have taught people. You've heard it said before, this is what it's really about in the kingdom of heaven, right? We've been going through all those things. And this section, this new, this verses today, chapter six, we're going to go one through four, begins a new section where he starts dealing with the hypocritical actions of the Pharisees. The Greek word for hypocrite is an actor with a mask. Somebody who is not who they say they are. And the Pharisees had a tendency to use their religion as a cover up for sin. Okay. And that, so that's what they have been teaching about. It's interesting to note, uh, just as a matter of background, that the Greeks and the Romans in this time, they did not see personal charity as like a thing. They would give wealthy donations to projects or to their poorer clients in order to gain popularity. <laughs> oh, let me tell you that again. The Greeks and the Romans, personal charity was not a thing, but they would give wealthy... Are you listening? They would give wealthy donations to big, great projects and to poorer clients in order to gain personal popularity. Now, I don't know about you, but I feel like that's like 2020. That's happening right now, is it not? And again, none of you, but people that you know. And I think Jesus is going to redirect, as he always does, the way to live eternally for something better. Because what he's, he begins to tell them is that you're going to get a reward for your giving, for your generosity, right? You will get a reward, but is it going to be lasting? Here's, here's what he says. Chapter 6, verse 1. Jesus says, be careful, right? Pay attention. Not to do your acts of righteousness before men to be seen by them. Be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. The acts of righteousness. All those things that we want to post about. All those things that we want to tell. You know, it used to be you would put your medals and your trophies on a shelf in your house. Before Instagram. Before Facebook. Listen, proud parents do this. We're just proud parents, right? But when, when grown-ups and kids and teens, when you put your medals up there, like when you walk in the house and the wall right there in the entryway, it's a wall of honor. Your honor. <laughs> That's right. I got third place, right? Or, oh man, look at me. Whoa, what are all these trophies? And then you get a humble brag. Oh yeah, back in the day, curling champion, 1973, fourth place, whatever. I'm just like, what? But we do this, or, or, 
that's silliness, but when you go into something spiritual, like giving or generosity, taking care of the poor, and the pictures are all about you reaching down into the lives of the broken. But your motive is really so that you can have praise of people, he says. Because that's what the Pharisees were doing. They would do all the right things. They would, they would give. They would do those things. But it was a practice. And it was so that people would pat him on the back. So the people go, oh, man, you are so spiritual. Oh, my gosh, you are so generous. And what he's saying is there's no reward from God in that. And he says when? Because he, he, he is saying, listen, He's acknowledging that giving, of course, we would teach our, our kids, our students, everybody, give to the poor. Yes, of course, be generous with what you have. Be willing to part with your stuff for the sake of somebody else. But when you do that, don't do it so that others will see you so that they'll pat you on the back. He goes on. He says, so when you give, again, when you give to the needy, don't announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues. And on the streets to be honored by men, I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. So he's moving from the how, this is kind of the how not to, right? He goes and he talks about the synagogues and the streets. Don't announce it with trumpets in the synagogues and on the streets. Do you ever walk into church and pull out your uh, spiritual holiness scorecard? Of course you don't. You keep it in the car. <laughs> we do this all the time. When you golf, you keep a scorecard, right? You golf, you swing, everybody gets to the hole. How many golfers, how many golfers do we have? Come on, let's just, let's, we'll just participate here. Okay, we have like, and all the ones who actually golf don't admit it because they're like, I can't tell everybody I, I spend that much time on the golf course. If you golf, you get to the hole, everybody puts the ball in, hopefully, and you take score. Johnny, how many did you get? Here are the four. Three. <laughs> no, no, Johnny, you were in the sand like three times. Like that's six, right? You're at, you carry the three. You're like 45 on this hole, right? But we all want to be better than everybody else. And spiritually, we want people to know that we're doing what we're supposed to. And we all keep a score. As long as I'm better than Billy, as long as I'm more holy, as long as... And he's saying, look, we don't do this in the church, don't come to the synagogue and try to elevate yourself above others because of your generosity or in the streets. Worse yet is going and letting the world look at us and be hypocritical spiritual giants because the only reward we're actually looking for is personal praise or praise from people. And what he's saying is this pat on the back, that's all you get. That's it. That verbal at a boy or at a girl, that's the reward you get. That, that like button that you so desire, that's all you get. Is that really enough? Is that what we're seeking? The temporal, quick praise from people, right? And then there's the whole question of what need are we actually filling? Right? What need are we actually filling? He goes on, he says, but when you give to the needy, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Keep it that close to the vest. Keep it that, keep it that concealed. 
Right? This is not a literal, you know, it'd be weird walking around with one hand behind your back. Or He says, but do something. Let your giving be done in secret. Then the Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. So he moves from the how not to to the how to. How do you give? Discreetly. Why? So that your reward will be in heaven, so that when you stand before God, nobody else on earth might have known you gave one cent to help the needy, but God knows. And the idea that you can hear, well done, good and faithful servant, later is actually the greatest reward, much better than the add a boy, add a girl pat on the back, thousand like Instagram posts that you could get on this earth. So here's a question that we have to wrestle with. Are we giving to the needy and what are we giving and does it matter? Because you can, you can take care of the poverty in somebody's pocketbook and totally miss the poverty of their soul and not have given them anything. Think about that. You can give a million dollars to somebody this week and they can have all the comforts of the world. But if you don't deal with the poverty of their soul, they'll enter eternity apart from God with million dollars, which means they have nothing. There was, um, I was driving down the, we were down in the Heights yesterday. And there was a man who was sitting on the street. Houston, you know, we have a huge poverty issue in Houston. And I realized that giving everybody money is not necessarily the right thing to do, right? Just because you give them money doesn't mean it's going to be used well. They might, it might continue their addiction. There's a lot of reasons why you don't give people money on the, uh, who are asking for it. But they're still in need. This man was in a wheelchair. He was totally broken. He was depleted as a person. And he was... He was begging for money. And there was a, an SUV in front of me, a Lexus SUV, and I was totally judging the person in the car. I'm just going to out myself. I'm going to confess my sin. I sat in judgment on the person in front of me. Not because they had an SUV, but because this man wheeled himself up, and he looked and he waved, and you could tell this person was looking straight ahead. And I did not judge the person because they didn't open their door and give money. But this man has a name. This man was born to someone. He's in, he was created in God's image and has a name. It could have been John or Steve. But none of his needs were met. Not his pockets and not his spirit. And I wonder how many times that we neglect actually giving to the need of people. He had a name. When Jesus interacted with the poor, because this is the bottom line, how does God do it and how do we get in line with what he does, right? Because we could go and push that button, that easy button. It's real easy to give online, isn't it? By the way, <laughs> that was good. I didn't even mean to do that. That worked perfect. 
But we do. We can, we can give to poor people in Africa. We can give to poor people in Cambodia. We can give to poor people in Zimbabwe, in China. We can give to poor people in Houston without ever having to actually give anything. Without actually having to take care of a need, actually. So Jesus, he interacted with a lot of poor people, right? His disciples, by and large, didn't do it very well. In one instance, Jesus was um, in Bethany and they're having dinner and Mary comes and she has this very expensive jar of, you know, this alabaster jar of perfume. You know the story. She dumps it out and wastes all of the perfume. It's very expensive. And Judas, leading the charge, gets the other disciples around and they're indignant. They're angry because we could have sold that perfume and given it to the poor, which sounds right. Except that Judas used his religion as a cover-up for his own sin. Because Judas wanted to dip into that money himself. Right? When Jesus interacted with the poor, Bartimaeus called out, if you were blind or lame, right, you were paralyzed, you would be taken and sat on the side of the road in these times and you would beg for what you needed because you didn't have anything. You were worthless in that, in that time. Not dissimilar to where we are now. And do you know what Jesus did when people called out for him? I'm depleted, I'm poor, I'm needy. He would look at them and most of the time he dealt with the actual need first, wouldn't he? Your sins are forgiven, he'd say. Get up and sin no more. He dealt with the need in their spirit. Right? And then he would take care of all the outward things that they needed. We're so focused on taking care of the outward so that people can see us that we forget and neglect the actual need of the people around us. Peter got it right once. I love Peter. He gives hope for people like me. This is after Pentecost. Spirit comes. Peter stands up, addresses the crowd. Talk about the fellowship of believers in chapter two and in chapter three. It says, one day Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer. It's like us coming to church, right? It says, now a crippled man from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful where he was put every day to beg Somebody was put at the steps of the, the building, right? This is great. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Think about for one quick sec what you would do. Just, and there's no judgment. I'm just, they put yourself in their position. You park your car, right? You got your kids all prettied up. You finally made it to church on time. And there's a guy begging for money at the door. Right before they went in. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. That's pretty harsh. Hey, look over here. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something. So he was like, all right, I'm gonna get my first, my first stuff today. My first fiver. Get a 10 spot. Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I have I'll give you. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong, and he jumped up and it goes on. See, what he did was he gave him something more than money. He gave him hope 
and a future. And this is what Jesus did. Every time somebody engaged him, he gave them hope and a future. He gave them forgiveness and mercy. What do we do when we see the needy around us? And do we even see it? We see the person in shabby clothes sitting in a wheelchair begging for for money. But what about the person in the Lexus who's so spiritually depleted that if they literally didn't make it through the end of the day, they'd spend eternity apart from God. And are we dealing with that need in people? Are we generous with that? Are you generous with the gospel? Are we generous with the, the, the best news on the earth? Because here's the deal. You're never going to outgive God on this earth. You're never going to be able to give enough to earn favor with God. You'll never be able to give enough to earn salvation in the kingdom. And God has already given you more. We were all poor and impoverished at one time, were we not? You're sitting in church for this reason, I believe. You were poor, without hope, and Jesus in his goodness and generosity did not throw money at your feet and said, I hope you feel better. I hope this will make you comfortable. I hope that people won't laugh or, or call you names anymore. He didn't say any of those. He said, let me give you what you need. What you need is forgiveness for your sin. And he sent his son Jesus to live a perfect life that we must to be with God. And he gave his life for you and me. He paid with his life, with his blood and through that blood and by the power of God through the resurrection, we have hope. We have been given everything that we need. How generous are we with that? I wonder how willing we are to, to dole that out to the people around us. And do we even know that they're poor? It's easy to tell people who are outwardly poor. But are we being generous to the poor in spirit, to the poor who are depleted on the inside? What happens when we start to do this, I wonder? I wonder what happens when we start to take care of people's actual need. I think it would be great to see the church grow but not because somebody else's church sent over a few people. I want to see the church grow, though, not because sheep from another pasture decided to wander over to ours, but because we were generous and dealt with the need in people around us and that the guy you see down on the corner all the time came to know Jesus and had his needs met spiritually and he can worship next to us. He could stand here even if he didn't look right. How would that be? How cool would that be to see the church grow? But it's going to take you and I learning to give to the needy for the reward in heaven, not for the reward now. That's the kind of generosity that changes the world. It's the kind of generosity that Jesus was talking about. And if we're going to see a change, it'll be because we don't care if people like our posts, that people don't care where we've been and what we've done. And it will change if we start caring much more about the well done and good and faithful servant from God than it is from other people. Heavenly Father, I ask in Jesus' name that you would um, challenge us this week. Would you give us the grace to know our own need 
and help us to be merciful in the need of others. Father, we're grateful for Jesus. Lord, would you give us boldness? And it's only by your power that we can do this. We can't just try harder. We need you, Lord, to help us to be more generous and to do it discreetly and to not care if anybody sees it. Our flesh gets in the way. Our need for applause gets in the way. So we lay all those things down. We look forward, God, to who you will put in front of us. Help us be generous to give to the needy, both to provide for their pockets, but also to provide for their spirit. We love you, Lord. We lay these things down in Jesus' name. Amen.